Good morning, Rocky Mount Baptist Church. How are you guys doing this morning? I'm already hot from singing, y'all mind? I'm going to take this thing off. I just want to say thank you guys for uh, inviting me here this morning. Uh, such a joy to get to be with you. I remember when I was a, uh, a kid, I grew up going to a small Southern Baptist church in a little town called Iron City, Tennessee. And uh, we were celebrating the Lord if we had 40 that day. Anybody ever been part of that church? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when guest speakers used to come to speak, I was always like, yeah, man, I can't wait to hear because it's something different, right? So kids, this is something different today. I just want you to know I am very different. Anyway, I hope we enjoy our time together in the Word uh, this morning. Uh, I just want to thank, uh, thank you guys for inviting me. I thank Dr. Wheeler for, uh, for the opportunity to come and, and preach this morning. Um, it's such a joy for me to get to uh, open the Word of God uh, with you guys uh, today. Uh, before I get started, I, I would like to tell you just a, a little bit about uh, myself. I was born and raised in, in Tennessee, and um, I thought that I had a, a future uh, sort of plan in my life. I joined the United States Air Force, uh, met my beautiful bride uh, in the Air Force. She was in the Air Force as well. We met in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I, I actually thought that I was going to be a, what they call a lifer. Y'all know what I'm talking about? A lifer in the Air Force. And uh, man, I, I, as I started building my career and we were building a family, I, I recognized that about 235 days out of every year, I was away from my family. That's hard. And so when I got a chance to voluntarily separate, uh, I took that chance and I said, Lord, let's, uh, let's do something a little different uh, here. So I'm very grateful that today uh, I have a 20, uh, almost 20-year-old 20 son and 18-year-old daughter who uh, are able to be here with me today, and so I want to thank them for being able to, uh, to be here. It's such a joy because right when they get to be young adults, man, like they're out and they're somewhere else and they're doing their own thing, and so I find it a joy that uh, I get to be uh, with them here today, so thank you for welcoming my, my family. Uh, today I want to talk to you about what is all the fuss about making disciples, um, in a Southern Baptist church, uh, we constantly talk about making disciples. That's our mission, right? I want to read a couple of things uh, to you this morning. I, I find these very, very interesting. Um, during a visit to uh, NASA Space Center in uh, 1961, President John F. Kennedy noticed a man carrying a broom. And he interrupted his own tour and he walked over to the man. He said, Hey, I'm, I'm Jack Kennedy. What are you doing? He said, well, Mr. President, the janitor responded, I'm helping put a man on the moon. See, the president didn't know that the man carrying the broom was a janitor, but the janitor had great vision. Though he was just there to clean, he had a purpose, and that was to put a man on the moon. Maybe you've heard this one, a story of Christopher Wren, one of the greatest of English architects, who walked one day unrecognized among men who were at work upon a building of the St. Cathedral, St. Paul's Cathedral in London, which he had designed. What are you doing? He inquired of one of the workmen. And the man replied, I'm cutting a piece of stone. So he went on and he put the same question on to another man when he walked up to him. And the man replied, I'm earning five shillings and two pence a day. And to a third man, he addressed the same inquiry. And the man answered, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build a beautiful cathedral. You see, that man had vision as well. He could see beyond the cutting of the stone. To the naked eye, the janitor was just cleaning a building. The skilled laborer was just cutting a piece of stone. But in the larger unfolding story around him, they were helping put a man on the moon and building a cathedral, respectively, right? So 
one of the things that I want us to look at today is if we've been given a mandate, and that mandate is to make disciples, what is our purpose? Listen to the words of Jesus and his disciples in the gospel according to Matthew as he closes out his account of the life and ministry of Jesus. We're left with these final words that our brother just quoted to us just a few minutes ago. From Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, it says, All heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave the disciples a mission. And all those who are become part of this are also part of his mission. Our mission is to make disciples. But is it simply to make disciples or is there something more? And I believe there's something far greater that we need to see today. So I'm asking the question, what is the purpose? See, in the church and Christian circles, you hear language like the term mission and or missions, right, with, with an S, used a lot. Uh, the mission is to make disciples, and there are various forms and methods that we use to do that, right? Um, it could be um, clothing closets, feeding the hungry, um, going on mission trips, using education, sports, art, music, all these sort of things are venues that we use in order to take the gospel to make disciples of Jesus and to see people saved. So we labor and we toil and we strive giving of our time, talents, and treasures to help people hear the gospel and see them come to Christ and experience salvation. But the question is, what's the purpose? So today I want us to take a look at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 25. Luke chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 25. If you guys would, would you please stand with me as we honor God in the reading of his word this morning? Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Now great crowds accompanied him, talking about Jesus. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, starting to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build began to build and was not able to finish? Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, I pray that we would honor uh, you today in all that we say and do in this room. God, I pray that your name is high and lifted up. God, we know that 
when your word goes forth and is preached, the Spirit of God is at work to bring conviction of heart. And so, Lord, I pray for that today. I pray that we would be able to see more, as we just sang, about the beauty of who you are, the glorious, and that we would delight in you for who you are. So, Lord, today we, we worship you through the preaching of your word. Uh, Lord, help me to communicate clearly. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your words would just come forth with clarity in our time together this morning. I pray for the Holy Spirit of God to come. We know that when the Holy Spirit of God shows up that everything changes. So I pray that his presence is welcome here today. I pray that we are receptive of the Spirit of God to move among us as we hear the word of God preached. So Lord, we pray that you would help us in this moment. And we pray all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You guys can be seated. So there's three things from this passage of Scripture that I want to point out to us today. Number one, to be a disciple of Christ, you must love Christ more than you love your family. Number two, to be a disciple of Christ, you must love Christ more than yourself. And number three, to be a disciple of Christ, you must love Christ more than your possessions. I want you to notice first off in this passage of scripture, the first thing that we see is, you see, Jesus has been traveling around in his Galilean ministry, and he's been out away from Jerusalem. And as he's been ministering, we've seen and heard about people who have been healed, people who have had uh, demons uh, casted out. Uh, We hear of the blind that are now seeing. All these things are taking place, and Jesus has said, I'm setting my face toward Jerusalem, and he's starting to come back to Jerusalem when we pick up in this story where we're at. And as a result of his ministry, in and out, away from Jerusalem, and headed back to Jerusalem, a large number of people have begun to follow him. A large number of people. Because it says in the passage here that now great crowds accompanied him. Uh, I thought about that, man. I thought about that a lot. I think a lot of times in our society today, uh, what we want um, most of all is to have a lot of followers. I don't know how many of you guys are on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, but man, like what we want, right, is like we want all those followers, and when we post something, we want to see how many people have actually liked it, right? That's what we do. And then think about it for a minute. In this day and time when Jesus has been traveling and all those people has come in, these large crowds show up. And they're following him when he turns to speak to them. Is what he said to us this morning easy? No, it is not easy. So we've got a very difficult passage of scripture to deal with today. And so first thing I want to say is we've got to be careful as followers of Jesus that we're not just so concerned about the benefits that Jesus offers, but that we actually want Jesus. You guys with me? Great crowds accompanied him, and it makes me wonder, did they just want the benefits of Jesus, or did they just want Jesus? We see this a lot, uh, oftentimes in our culture, with when we have people who want to be friends with popular or wealthy people. They don't really care about the person, they just want to enjoy the benefits that that person can, can give to them. 
Um, we oftentimes know when someone knows something, someone famous, they're really quick to tell us, hey, I know so-and-so, right? Like, I've got personal friends who know Tim Tebow very well. Anybody in the house know Tim Tebow? Yeah. Like, they know him really well. They know him so well, they call him Timmy. <laughs> they call him Timmy. And so they've grown up being around Tim Tebow. But you know what? The beautiful thing about these people is that they don't want just the benefits that Tim offers. They know Tim's family so well that they've been in the Philippines with them, serving in missions to see people come to Christ. And oftentimes, Tim Tebow comes over and works in those, in those missions. It's these people sometimes like me who want to know someone who is famous. Like, I have a friend of mine. His name is David Weathers, and David Weathers played baseball uh, for Major League for about 19 years, and he was a pitcher, and he's got two World Series rings. And so when I start talking about baseball, oftentimes I'll say, hey, man, I know David Weathers. Right? That's my bad heart, right? <laughs> I wish I was like my friends. I'm not like them. But what we see is we see all these crowds accompanying Jesus, and then Jesus turns to them, and he says some hard things. So the first thing I want you to see that he says is that the way that I'm going to say it is that we have to love Christ more than we love our family. Look at what he says in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. The first thing I want you to see this word hate, right? Like, I don't think that's the character of Jesus that he would say that you got to hate your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters more. What Jesus is saying is you've got to love them less than you would me. You see, Jesus has to be in this place of being over even our own family. Um, uh, in, in the day and age in which Jesus is speaking, the family is like central to everything that they've done. And the people that are hearers when Jesus would have said that would have been arrested by what he had to say. Are you kidding me? In Judaism, man, like the family bond, the families were tight and to have hear, heard him say this would have been really hard. But let's think about us today. Is it not hard for us as well? Is that not a very difficult thing for us to hear? I mean, honestly, if he says, if you want to be my disciple, that you have to love me more than you love your family. Well, well you know, what if the rubber meets the road and all of a sudden uh, the Lord really wants to move you to, I don't know, Seattle, Washington, because he has a place for you and a job out there for you to move to to be your platform of ministry. Are you ready to leave your family? Or what if he wants you to um, move to Texas, to San Antonio, Texas, and he's like, I've got a job just for you, but it's going to require you loving me more than you love your family to pursue this job. Are we, are we willing to make that move in our lives, that we say, Lord, you are above those things. You are above my family. Yes, I love my family, but Lord, if you're asking me to do this, you are worthy of the worship. You are worthy more than my own family, and I'm going to move forward in that. In 2003, my family and I moved to North Africa, and uh, I didn't realize how hard that was on my parents and on my wife's parents. Uh, for us, we were pursuing the heart of God with everything that we had. Uh, we knew that he had called us, and that's all we could think about or focus on was moving forward. And oftentimes in the midst of that, I neglected to think, how does my parents, how does my mom, how does my dad, how does my wife's mom and dad think about these things? 
because it was really, really difficult for them to think about seeing their babies uh, leave and move to another country that they would seemingly think of as dangerous. And I came back after three years. We were in North Africa, and I was, I was talking to my, to my dad, and uh, we kind of got out and went down to the shop or the barn or whatever, and uh, he said, you know, that really was a very difficult uh, time in our life, but your mom and I uh, used to pray, Lord, you be glorified. Lord, you be glorified. My, my dad had a, had a really good um, perception of what was, what was going on and that he wanted the, the Lord to use our, our life in those ways. But at the same time, I, it was hard on him because his grandkids, he wasn't around his grandkids. He wasn't around um, Tyler and Brittany. Uh, my wife's parents weren't around Tyler and Brittany. That was a really hard move for them. But they had the perspective that Christ was so worthy to be worshipped that it was worth seeing us move. I have to oftentimes ask my question, would I be willing to do that again? I love being at Liberty University. It's a lot of fun. Uh, working with Doc, can you imagine? Y'all know what I'm talking about, Dr. Wheeler? <laughs> what a joy that is, right? I love that man. It's so much fun getting to, to work with him and, and do what I, what I do now. And, and I have to, I, listen, I heard David Platt say this. He said, we have to write a blank check. We have to write a blank check with our lives and place them before the Lord and say, Lord, would we be willing to go do wherever and whatever for your namesake? And even now, because I love Virginia, y'all. This is a great place, man. I love Virginia. I think it's, I think it's one, of the most, one of the greatest places that I ever lived. And, and it would be really hard for me now to turn and walk away from the things that I so enjoy. And so I have to keep my heart in check. And as I think about those things, I think about walking away from now I have young adult uh, children, right? Would I be willing for the glory of God's name to walk away from my own children because I love Jesus more than I love them? The second thing I want you to see is he says, uh, in that leaving that part of the verse in verse 26, he says, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So we've got to love Christ more than we love ourselves. there in verse 26. So a disciple must deny himself. He must die to self. Self-denial means letting go of self-determination and placing it, replacing it with obedience and dependency on Jesus so we're letting go of ourselves. How hard is that? Like, like I often used to tell, uh, I oftentimes think about in, in military terms. Um, and so um, if a certain situation in any given situation happens in our lives, it's quite natural that the first thing we think about is number one, right? We think about how does that impact me? How does that affect me? We don't normally think about how does that going to impact those that are around me. The first person we think about is self. And there's a reason why. Because if all of us kind of get real with one another in the room this morning, the first thing we're going to realize is we're pretty a selfish bunch. I'm pretty selfish. And he says, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to die to yourself if you're going to be my disciple. Listen to these verses. Romans 12 verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are to be a living sacrifice, 
In other words, when there's something that was sacrificed, something has died, right? Listen to this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Colossians 3.3 says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Galatians 5.24 says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's the one I want to get to. Our own passions and our own desires. Am I pursuing every day I have to wake up and think, Wes, are you pursuing Wes? Are you pursuing the things for Wes? Or are you denying yourself and serving Christ? Is Christ ultimate in my life? Or are there things that I'm striving for in my, in my own self? Are my passion and desires more important than Christ? The second part of that, he says, you got to come after me. So you got to die to yourself and then you got to do something, right? Like there's always this increase and decrease in scripture that you'll see. So when something goes out, something has to come in. When something goes away, something, you have to go somewhere else, right? And so he's saying you, gotta, you have to deny yourself, but then you have to come after you have to come after me. Listen to his words in Matthew 4:19. Jesus said, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Now, I use this verse to describe what a disciple is. I think one of the reasons that we don't make disciples in the church is because we don't really know what we're trying to make. Right? And when we talk about making disciples, we're like, "Has anybody ever discipled you?" Well, I don't really know. Well, have you ever made a disciple? Well, I don't really know. Well, what is a disciple? Well, I don't really know. So I want to help us this morning to kind of think through this just for a minute. What is Jesus talking about when he's saying making disciples? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the first thing I want you to see is that a disciple is someone who is committed to following Jesus, right? When the rubber meets the road, are we going to follow Jesus? Like I have friends who've been persecuted because of their faith. Many of them hurt, chased, uh, Security police inside their gatherings, right? Because it's not uh, legal for them to gather and worship. And so when the rubber meets the road, are you actually going to follow Jesus? Or are you going to coward out? Those sort of things. So a disciple is committed to following Jesus no matter what. The second one, he says, I will make you. He's making us into something, you guys. He is making something, making us into something. And so a disciple is one who is committed to being changed by D Jesus not only is he committed to be following Jesus, he's committed to being changed by Jesus. And then he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. A disciple has to be somebody who's committed to be on the mission of Jesus. So we're committed to following, committed to being changed, and committed to the mission of Jesus because he's given us a mission. And then he gives us two examples. Look at this in, in, in verse 20, uh, 20, uh, 28. He says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down and first, sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes at him with 20,000? So Jesus sort of gives us a couple of examples, right? Uh, like, like he's saying, um, what, Wes, if you go and, and try to build a house and you get started and you've never even calculated whether or not you got enough money to finish your house and 
you know, you get your footing poured and, and you get about half the walls up and then you have to quit because you don't have enough money. And he says, all those who come by are going to mock you. And then he talks about this guy who's going to war and he hasn't contemplated whether or not that, that he actually has enough manpower to win. And he says, I go and send a, a peace treaty, a peace treaty to him. The Lord is trying to get us to look at something, right? Like he's trying to get us to look at the fact that, are you sure you want to follow me? Am I worthy in your life to be followed? Or are these, these other things that in your life, have you counted the cost of what it's going to take to follow Christ? Have you? For us, I mean, Rocky Mountain, Virginia, right? Liberty University for me, it's pretty easy every day for me to wake up and say, yeah, man, I, I follow Jesus. I'm, I'm definitely committed to, to following after Jesus. I, I go to convocation three times a week. I, I teach, I don't know, four or five Bible classes throughout the week. I work with Dr. Wheeler, who's an evangelist, right? Like, there's all these things that's going on. And in my life, it's pretty easy for me to say, yeah, I'm committed. But I really want us to take a long, hard look at that. Are we committed? Are we really counting the cost of what it takes to follow Jesus? Because we have to see the beauty of Jesus first. And so I want to help us to see if we can see the beauty of Jesus so that we know what we're counting the cost against. The last thing he says in verse 33, he says, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, all that he has cannot be my disciples. I often joke about this when I preach and I say I looked up that word all in the original language, which is the Greek, and in the original all means all. It does. It means absolutely everything. In Matthew 16, 26, the scripture records, for what profit, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? I thought about the rich young ruler in, in Luke chapter 18. When he comes to Jesus, I'm going to flip over and read that just for a second. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. It says, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, right, now here's the beauty behind this. Because what I want you to see is that God knows our heart. Christ can see right to our heart. And he said this, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. So the question is not whether or not it's good or bad to be rich. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. The question is, do you hold the things that God has provided for you in this earthly life loosely? And do you use those things as a good steward of the resources that he's given you to do ministry for Jesus? Right? Like, why has he given me a house? Praise the Lord, he's given me a house. It has air conditioning, it has heating, it's got running water in it, it's got toilets, right? Like, I feel so blessed. I have a refrigerator that has food in it most of the time. <laughs> I have a lot of college students in my house. But do I use those things for ministry, for the sake of the glory of God's great name? I have, I have a vehicle. Uh, I drove here in it, uh, Jeep Cherokee, right? Um, do I use that vehicle for ministry to maybe help shuffle some people around or maybe to take some folks on a trip or 
You know, right? Like, are we using the resources that God has given us, and do we hold them loosely? Do we see that He is worthy of far more than anything that we could ever have in this life? Do we place Him above our family? Do we place Him above ourselves? Do we place Him above the things that we have? I moved to Jackson, Tennessee, and I don't remember what that was, 2005, and um, the Lord uh, uh, attached our family to a church just about like Rocky Mountain Baptist Church called Poplar Heights Baptist Church. And in that family, was a, was a, uh, in that church was a, was a family, um, Bill and Vicki Forsyth. And Bill and Vicki Forsyth um, had a big family, and they had a lot of grandkids, and the Lord had blessed them throughout the years. And they had this beautiful little house on the Tennessee River, and they had pontoon boat, and they had jet skis, and um, they had a pretty good setup. And you know what the Forsyths would do? They would always tell me, Wes, anytime you want to use our house, you and your family go if you need a place to get away. Wes, if you want to take some college students and do a retreat, take, your, take them, and you guys go use the house. Hey, you want to use our boat? Take the college, take the college students down. Go right on our boat. You want to use the jet skis? Go for it. They always held those things out for the ministry, right? Like to spread the name of God, to like growing in the gospel uh, with, with students. And I, I've always said, Lord, I, I hope that I would be that way. I would always hope that the resources that you give me, I will always be able to hold loosely, number one. See, this one is a hard, for, hard one for me. I'll tell you a little bit of personal story about myself. So when God called us overseas, man, I was, I was, after I had gotten out of the United States Air Force, I was on a path, and I was so ready to, like, make a lot of money. I had a good skill. I was a crane operator, and so I could work, and I could make a lot of money, and I knew that. And I always said when I was in the military, hey, if I work as many hours on the outside as a civilian as I do on the inside, and I make the scale that a crane operator makes, I'm going to be set, and I can't wait because I want like a big house for my wife. And I want a, you know, a Power Stroke F-250. You know what I'm talking about? I want a boat behind that thing, man. Like I want to be pulling my boat. I want four-wheelers. My son and I can ride. I wanted all those things. And what I was doing was I was bowing down and I was worshiping the almighty dollar. I was so materialistic and I didn't even know it. And when the Lord called me, the very first thing that came out of my mouth was like, are you kidding me? Like, look at what I'm trying to provide for my family. That was who I was. And so he had to break me of that. And so this one, talking about this one, is really hard. Because if I'm honest with you, there are times in my life where that starts to creep back in. And I have to say, Lord, are the things that you've given me, am I holding them loosely? I have to keep my heart in check because I'm not always. I'll admit that. And I have to get before him and repent of that. And so the question is, is Jesus worthy to be worshipped above our family, above ourself, and above the things that he has so graciously given us. Earlier in, as I got started, I, I, I read some clear words that Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter 28, that it's our mission to make disciples, but I questioned what is the purpose. In a little book called Let the Nations Be Glad, Dr. John Piper penned these words in the opening sentences. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. 
Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed, us as believers he's talking about, fall on their face before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship will be forever. So I want you to catch this. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Our mission is to go and make disciples. But in so doing, we are in essence making worshipers of the one true God. Are you guys with me on that? Like he is worthy to be worshipped and there are people groups all over the world who've never even heard about Jesus. You might even have a neighbor who you think knows who Jesus is and he doesn't even have a clue. The hardest place I've ever had to do ministry is in the South. Because so many people think that they know, and they don't know. So when we are making disciples, we are in essence making worshipers, helping people learn to trust and follow Jesus because he alone is worthy. He is the one that is worthy of all our time, talents, and treasures. Missions exist because worship doesn't. We toil and we strive to reach our neighbors and the lost across the world because Jesus needs to be penultimate in our life. He is fully worthy and deserves all worship and praise among all people. All people. All people. You see, evangelism and missions is not just about people being saved and rescued from hell and damnation. It's about worship. Jesus deserves to be worshipped. If we have half-hearted devotion to follow Jesus, our worship of God will be half-hearted. Resulting in half-hearted devotion to his mission to make more disciples who worship him. Jesus said of the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. In Isaiah 42, 8, he says, I am the Lord. This is my name. I give my glory to no other, not my praise to carved idols. That's who he is. And then in John 4, 23, Jesus said, but the hour's coming. And it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I want to close with this. In 2003, Harold Best wrote a book called Unceasing Worship. And in it, he talks about God as being continuously outpouring. So I want you to listen to some words he has to say. He's, worship, says Harold Best, is about outpouring. He writes, The burden of this book develops the concept of continuously outpouring as a rubric for our worship, meaning there's something constantly outpouring about God. As God eternally outpours with his triune self, and as he has created us in his image and in his likeness, it follows that we, too, are continuous outpourers. 
incurably so. But man's fall into sin means that we spend our outpouring on false gods appearing to us in any number of guises. This continuous outpouring entails that at this very moment and for as long as this world endures, everybody inhabiting it is bowing down and serving something or someone. This continuous outpouring he's talking about, he says it could be an artifact or a person, an institution, an idea, a spirit, or God through Christ. In other words, nobody does not worship. Authentic worship is only that which is lived out in faith, hope, and love. And it is only possible because of the once-for-all sacrifice for Christ. As a result, we do not go to church to worship. But as continuing worshipers, we gather ourselves together to continue to worship, but now in the company with other brothers and sisters. Even evangelism exists in light of this continual outpouring as it becomes an act of overheard worship. My wife and I went to a conference um, in Nashville not too long ago, and while we were there, uh, this like big time speaker that most of you would probably know had to cancel, had some things that happened in his life, and he couldn't come. And so they called this other guy, and they said, hey, can you come and speak? And he said, uh, he was already supposed to be there to do breakout sessions, uh, but we need you to speak in like the big session. And he's like, man, I don't know. It's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they want him to preach at the 9 o'clock session the next morning. And he was so nervous. He even admitted it when he first got up. He said, I was so nervous to get up here and do this. And then over the next hour, the Spirit of God was on that place because what we heard was an outpour of the worship that was already in his heart. He didn't have to prepare. It was already in there. And so we got to overhear what was already going on in his relationship with the Lord. Prayer and preaching are at its best when they are not isolated events, but rather the overflow of unceasing worship. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. So I know today in hearing something like this, it gets really difficult in the room. I feel the tension, but I also feel the Spirit of God at work. I feel that the Lord is, at, is moving on hearts and minds because I'm looking into your faces. And so if that's you today, and you know that maybe you've placed your family above Christ, or maybe you're in that moment even right now to where you're working out, hey, uh, am I placing myself uh, on the throne of my heart, or is Jesus on the throne of my heart? And do I hold my possessions loosely, or am I striving to worship money? You see, Jesus is the only one who rightly deserves to be in that place of worship for his name's sake. And so this morning, I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing some songs, or a song maybe. And uh, I'm going to stand down front. And so if you'd like to come and talk to me, man, I would love for you to come and um, uh, speak to me. If not, then afterwards. Um, but I would love to get a chance to, to talk to you. Let's pray together.